Here's an excerpt from a recent cannabis investing conversation. Nick Gastovich, Can Investments on Twitter, on Seeking Alpha, in the land of the internet. Always happy to talk to you. There's always a, a lot of talk about the financial sort of machinations of, of cannabis companies and what they're forced to do and what some of them do <laughs> very much on their own, um, but how retail investors can navigate that. And, and you know, it's, it's oftentimes very difficult for the average retail investors to navigate the cannabis industry. A, who do you think is best at, or some of the best at, I guess, being kind to shareholders in terms of how they go about all the things that management has to do in terms of keeping shareholders happy, not just the bottom line of price, which is out of their control, but in terms of, you know, dilution and and things of of that nature. Um, Who do you think is the best kind of steward of capital from a shareholder perspective? And then also what, what, I, I mean, I know it's a bit broad, but what are some of the ways that retail investors can protect themselves from from the sector? Probably like two main aspects of that, you know, in terms of protecting shareholder capital, I would say, you know, one is uh, looking at uh, just dilutive factors and, you know, uh, which mostly relates to balance sheet quality from from my perspective and as, as well as profitability. Um, I was actually looking at just, uh, you know, some statistics on some of the bigger tier one and tier two names in terms of, you know, how their share counts have have grown over the past two years and uh, how that uh, exists like relative to uh, their their revenue growth profile. Um, you know, because if, if, if you're a company and you grew revenue 100% as an example, um, but your, you know, your share count jumped by 200%, you can certainly question whether that that growth was was worthwhile as as a shareholder um so so identifying companies who don't need to uh you know dilute the shareholder base in order to grow i think is is one characteristic i i frequently look for um and you know from, from what i saw uh amongst some of the bigger names like gti is an example their, their share counts in terms of uh fully diluted in the money share count only grew about by about like one percent since the uh, end of twenty twenty one until this most recent quarter, and in that time they they grew revenue by thirteen percent. So that's a very good uh, uh, you know ge- generation of revenue. It might not be like the, the the top generation of revenue growth, but they did it off a very uh, stable base uh, of total shares, outstanding. Um, and you know, that's one factor that, that I certainly look at. And then, and then the other kind of caveat to, you know, I would say like being a happy shareholder and what companies can do is, is probably just transparency, uh, and and connecting with, with shareholders. Um, and, you know, I think you can point to a company like, like TerraSend, who has a very, you know, visible CEO and, or chairman and, and Jason Wild and who frequently connects with his investor community and you know he he's buying shares himself i think all of that things like that certainly point to uh a good connection with the shareholder base and something you should look for as investors 
Um, but you know, other forms of transparency, I, I, I'll give credit to uh, Verano in this in their most recent Q3 call. They they uh, released a new subset of kind of data in the in the press release where they broke down all their uh, sales by state. Um, which, you know, I think there's other than maybe goodness growth, who's quite a bit smaller and, and, you know, there's probably a few others. I don't see many companies giving that level of, uh, detail on a state by state basis. Um, and, you know, as an investor, it, I, I really appreciate getting that, that detail and being able to see, you know, how is this company doing in every single market quarter by quarter? Uh, and it really allows you to kind of uh, have insight into the company more than you would uh, otherwise. I just heard Zach Lowe on his podcast. I don't know if you're an NBA fan, but he went through with a with another NBA analyst, just a, a bunch of teams, and they said nice things and not nice things. I, I wanted to do the same thing with you with a few names. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, awesome. So one nice thing and one less nice thing. Uh, let's start with Green Thumb, everybody's favorite MSO. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, I think I've mentioned this before. I mean, I, I think the nice things are, are fairly obvious and, you know, it, it's the, the reasons why I think it's a it's a favorite of, of many and it's the largest position in MSOS is just the financial discipline and uh, strategic market allocation. Uh, you know, they've been generating uh, quite a bit of cash flow since 2021 and have only ramped that up uh, going into 22 and then now in 23. Um, and then in terms of uh, market uh, market choice, they've you know just been very strategic. They never they haven't had to pull out of any states like some of their peers have um, because they've been very like methodical and and you know have chosen states carefully and uh, you know seemingly don't overbuild uh, like others have. Um, if, you know, I'm going to give a negative, uh, you know, like others, I think their, their, uh, IR department and, and can continue to be a little bit more transparent. Uh, you know, I think in a lot of their calls, uh, they hold things very tightly to the chest and, uh, you know, they, they don't give out, you know, what their capacity sizes is, is in various states. And, uh, you kind of really have to ask very specific questions on on these calls to get any sort of forecast looking out. Um, so I would say that's, you know, continues to be an area that, that they need to improve on. Um, but it seems like that one, they continue to kind of get away with by just having good financial performance. Do you think they're going to end up like Netflix, which just released, you know, their numbers, which everybody has been begging them to do for years? Do you think Green Thumb eventually kind of releases the numbers and gets more transparent? Do you think that the, that eventually down the line kind of comes back to bite them in some way or too soon to tell? Yeah, probably too soon to tell. Like I would think under, you know, if this industry continues to head towards normalization and, you know, we eventually get uplisted and uh, institutional money come in, uh, like that might just be like something that institutional money like pushes for and eventually gets the the company to be a little bit more transparent about. You would think they would want that uh, as an as, you know, large investors putting writing fairly large checks. Um, I think that is uh, an evolution that likely would take place and it would be fairly normal to see. Yeah. Um, all right. Next, uh, True Leave. You know, like, like I mentioned before, credit to them for kind of getting the the costs in, in check and, uh, you know, 
even leaving a state like Massachusetts, like it definitely is kind of negative from a headline basis. It's an indication that, you know, they weren't able to compete in a slightly more competitive market. And, and, and that does say something, but I also think it was like, uh, you know, it's also somewhat prudent to kind of admit like, hey, we're not generating profits here. Like, let's take a step back and and, and focus elsewhere. Um, and, and to their credit, it does seem like they've done a good job on the application basis as well. They, you know, they won that license in Georgia. Uh, we, we just saw yesterday or two days ago, uh, the Alabama uh, medical program issued licenses. Now, this is the third time they're doing so because there's constantly lawsuits, but but truly did win a vertical license there. We'll, we'll see if the if the, this licensing regime holds, uh, but they you know have done a good job of that. Um, on the negative side, you know, what I mentioned about the headline, you know, top line revenue figure does, uh, certainly is something to look at, you know, they've seen revenue drop by close to, you know, 40 something million. Um, and at the same time I've added, you know, 35, 40 stores across the platform. So I do think there is, uh, some level of issue just when it terms, when it comes to growth, but, um, like others, if if the if Florida does flip to rec or they see a state like Pennsylvania where they're quite large flip to rec as well, um, you know, I think that 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 growth potential reignites overnight and uh, you know, they certainly have opportunity there. All right, Curaleaf. Yeah, I mean Curaleaf is uh, you know, I think uh kind of like a figurehead name of uh just the evolutions of the the cannabis market they're obviously the ones who i would say you know were, were growth at all costs and uh definitely took advantage of uh the opportunities that 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 afforded them and uh got into good markets uh you know if you look at like in arizona where they went big on the retail side uh, it's a good market to have retail in um, and, you know, kind of every, essentially every major market that flips to adult use, whether it was, you know, Maryland in, in July or most recently in New York, they, they seem to always have exposure and, and that's a good, uh, you know, aspect of the growth at all costs opportunity, but, uh, on the opposite end, they, they obviously face the realities of, uh, I would say spreading a little bit too thin and, uh, being a little bit too aggressive and, you know, having to put money into four markets that you later pulled out of uh, is obviously a, a red flag to some extent, just in terms of capital allocation. Uh, you know, if you look at like, uh, you know, look at the those the Los Sueños Colorado deal, which was like a large outdoor grow in, in Colorado that they acquired uh, via an M&A in, uh, it was 2021. And, you know, here we are two years later and they've exited the state fully um, that, you know, that obviously like isn't a good return on investment uh, as a company or or for shareholders. Um, so I think they're, you know, similar to truly with exiting Massachusetts, they're making the tough decisions that like I think are good to make. But it's also a reflection of, you know, management probably not making uh, optimal decisions for the company and, and being a little too aggressive at the same time. Glasshouse? Uh, definitely got to give Glasshouse a lot, a lot of credit, you know, uh, similar to Grown Rogue, just being able to uh, operate in a very tough market and now doing so uh, 
you know, at least close to, to profitably. Um, you know, I think uh, they know what they, they do well, and that's, you know, growing greenhouse flower at scale um, at, a, at a very low cost. And, you know, they've ca capitalized on that, that opportunity, certainly. And, uh, you know, as an another name, I was looking at, you know, the cash flow figures and, you know, they, they've improved uh, pretty significantly year over year. Um, where, where they actually are uh, cash flow positive this year. Some of that is is due to kind of working capital uh, adjustments, but they're you know you can kind of call them break even at at worst. Um, so I think they've done a very good job of that. Little hiccup in their forecast for Q4. Um, they mentioned some some uh, non optimal grow conditions that led to lower yields, and you know I think that's just a reality you'll face with greenhouse growing, but. Um, in a market where there's just a ton of struggling operators, uh, you got to give them credit for for putting out good margins and and doing what they they do best. Um, from from a negative side, you know, I, I definitely don't like the the um, preferred raise that they have done as as of late. It's uh, the interest rate that's charged is just egregious. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it really puts the common shareholder in, in, in a tough spot in terms of those preferred shareholders getting paid out a, a very healthy dividend. I think it's like 15% cash and then another uh, five or 10% in kind. Uh, so definitely a, a, a tough structure there, although you know, somewhat of a reality of just a tough uh, capital raising environment. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's a it, it's a good team operating in a tough market and and, and seemingly uh, doing it fairly well. I was going to ask about that the last issue that you mentioned about the preferred shares. It's kind of you just maybe alluded to it or said it out loud. But is it just kind of the nature of the beast at this point, or do you think that that could have been handled differently or should have been handled differently? Yeah, it, it it's it's tough to say. Like I thought from you know they did start the raise when their uh, numbers were still developing. Like it's very much a story that has changed quarter over quarter with, with their growth rate. It's been it's, it's been pretty Im impressive. And maybe at the time when they just went to market, there just wasn't that appetite for for a better deal. Um, but it it does seem pretty like surprisingly bad for a, a company that's seemingly on a good trajectory. Um, in, in terms of just like how uh, painful that that interest rate they're they're charging is, that I, I expect them to to be able to get something better on the on the market. But uh, like you said, I think it, it could just be the reality of trying to raise capital uh, for for a California operation after uh, so many people out there have been burned over the years. Right. Also, I've seen examples where they've you know hit a really nice capital raise in the past. So um, I, I think it surprised a lot of people. I mean, look, it's 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 obvious that it's super hard to operate um, in California is, is no picnic for sure. Uh, Jushi. Yeah, Jushi is an interesting name. And, uh, you know, I think is kind of unique in where they're uh, concentrated in, in, in the markets they're heavy in. You know, I think... Uh, like some of the other tier twos, I think they took on a little bit too much debt and kind of sale and lease back for my liking where they they really haven't been able to inflect towards uh, any sort of serious cash flow generation. They're still uh, tax adjusted quite a bit in the negative so far. 
2023. Um, but, you know, I think they've, they have some interesting growth opportunities ahead. It's just kind of timing wise, uh, difficult to see uh, when that inflection point happens. I mean, m most obviously, you know, they have a big footprint in Pennsylvania uh, and, you know, that's a market where uh, the legislature has been uh, split party wise and it's been tough to get something across the line in terms of an adult use framework. But that state is completely surrounded by uh, adult use states now. So, you know, there's more impetus than ever for them to do something. Um, and then uh, separately, you look at Virginia, where they, uh, you know, have one of the four operating licenses in the state, well known to be, you know, what they think of as kind of the most populous and, and densely concentrated area. So arguably a, a really good part of the state. Um, but, you know, I think they kind of just were uh, an unfortunate bystander in the, in, again, the kind of politics that happened in that state where, uh, you know, an adult use bill was, was uh, formal or an adult use initiative was passed. I think it was in 2021. Um, and then the Republican governor came in there and, and kind of kiboshed the whole uh, actually upstanding the market into a, a licensed framework. Um, so, so unfortunately for them, you know, they're kind of the, the two biggest states that they're in, uh have that growth potential ahead but you know it kind of seems like a 2025 story like at the very earliest um and given that and given their lack of cash flow generation and uh somewhat thin balance sheet i do worry uh if they'll have a need to you know raise some sort of capital I, you know definitely i wouldn't want them to raise more debt or uh add more sale and lease back but obviously raising uh equity would be would be tough in this market so uh that that is a name i would be slightly concerned about at least in the interim any articles discussed today you can find links to them on our show notes and all episodes have transcripts available on seeking alpha and for those wanting to follow breaking news and general news coverage of the markets come listen with us at wall street breakfast we have morning episodes released before 7 a.m eastern and afternoon episodes released around 12 noon eastern you've got wall street breakfast and wall street lunch for all your market news needs just a reminder anything you here on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app, and we'll see you soon with a new episode.